that was a great song. Amen. Thank the Lord. Pastor Mark, thank you for your ministry to us today. Appreciate that very much. You know, I forgot a very important announcement. Very important announcement. And that is, <clears throat> well, two, actually. First of all, we want to say congratulations to Mr. and Mrs. Darren Stark back there that are back from, yeah, that's you, brother, amen, and Mrs. right be, beside you there, amen, and you got married and uh, been, been away on their honeymoon there, we thank the Lord for that, and then also Chris and Maria Cowan are expecting a baby, amen, and uh, that's exciting, amen, really, just good stuff, and you know, I have one more announcement, my wife and I are not expecting a baby, <laughs> And Brother Herb, that is an important announcement for me. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> hey, praise the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, in case you haven't figured it out, the Christian life is not a Sunday school picnic, but rather a spiritual war for the souls of men. Brother Roloff used to sing that song all the time. It's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. Run if you want to and run if you will, but I came here to stay. Amen. In this war, we are all soldiers in it. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Lord willing, later this year, <clears throat> around Veterans Day, we are going to have in our church, again, Lord willing, if we're not all raptured by then and with everything going on in the world, I think that may be a possibility. Hallelujah. Uh, but Lord willing, we're going to have Lieutenant Colonel Charlie Pudell with us. And that's Uncle Joe's brother. And, and for 29 years, he served as a warrior in the United States military. Five tours overseas. And listen, he would tell you that a, a warrior, a good soldier, doesn't entangle with himself with the affairs of this life. He's busy being a soldier. And ladies and gentlemen, we're in that spiritual war for the souls of men. And don't get too tangled up in this life, amen? We have an enemy in this war. And his name is Satan. Douglas MacArthur, general of the army and winner of the Medal of Honor, said this, the greater the knowledge of the enemy, the greater potential for victory. You know, the Bible talks about the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.11 that we're not ignorant of his devices. At least we shouldn't be, amen. Uh, Satan, may I say uh, reverently, he's a powerful enemy. The Bible teaches that he can remove and place thoughts in our minds. The Bible says in Matthew 13, 19, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. That before that person can really understand the gospel, Satan can come and take that thought right out of their heart. 
Acts chapter 26, verse 18 says, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, in whom the God of this world, that Satan, hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. Ephesians 6, 12 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Hebrews 2.14 says, For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also, speaking of the Lord Jesus, likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that hath power of death, that is, the devil. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, let's not forget he's a powerful enemy. He's not more powerful than God, and he's not equal to God. He's a created being. But ladies and gentlemen, one-third of heaven's angels rebelled against God because of this powerful enemy. Revelation 12, 3 and 4 tells us. He's not only a powerful enemy, but he's a diabolical enemy. The word in the Bible, diablos, in your King James Bible, is used 38 times. It's used 35 times devil, twice false accuser, once slanderer, and 34 of these 38 times they refer to Satan himself. He's a diabolical enemy. Genesis 3.1, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God hath made. And he said unto the woman, yea... Hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? She went on to tell him, no, he didn't say that. He said, we can only eat of that one. God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And Satan said, ye shall not surely die. He's a diabolical enemy, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible says when Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, they were talking about how they were of Abraham and they were never in bondage to any man, which is one of the dumbest statements you ever read in the Bible because for 430 years they were in bondage in Egypt, amen. And they, Jesus said, no, you're of your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. He's a powerful enemy. He's a diabolical enemy. You know what else he is? <clears throat> He's a methodical enemy. You say, what do you mean methodical? Uh, when, when you think about, listen, we think about the Methodist church, what they were known for was methodically believing the doctrines of the Word of God, just piece by piece, precept. You know, Satan is very methodical in his assault upon us. He's always probing for weaknesses. He's finding that weak spot. And you know what, uh, Brother Jack, your weak spot may not be my weak spot. And Eddie, your weak spot may not be uh, Miss Kirkland's weak spot. But he's always probing. He's methodically trying to find out. And that's why the Bible tells us not to be ignorant of his devices. That's why the Bible tells us in Ephesians 6.11 that we have to put on the whole armor of God. Can't just put on one piece or a part of a piece because Satan will methodically pick you apart. He has many devices or vices. <clears throat> the first device, I believe, of Satan is pride. Pride. These six things doth the Lord hate. 
Yea, seven are abomination to him, Proverbs 16 says. The first thing on the list is a proud look. Pride goeth before destruction, Proverbs 16, 18. Let us not forget, ladies and gentlemen, that the first sin was pride on Satan's part. I'm going to be God. I'm so beautiful, I must be God. No, that's just pride. Pride is one of his devices. You know, pride keeps people from being saved. Amen? People think, well, I'm a good person. That's pride. It's just pride. I think pride keeps people, Christians, from doing right. I think pride keeps Christians from surrendering to God. Like they know God wants, and they say, well, what will people think? And, what, and I was just talking this morning to one of the dear ladies that attends our church. I remember in Bible college, my dear friend, uh, who was a married student with me, uh, he struggled with his salvation and struggled with his salvation and struggled with his salvation. And so finally, Brother Tom, he just gave in his senior year. He said, I'm getting saved. I don't care who thinks what about it. I don't care what my parents say. I don't care what my instructors say. Right there, senior year of Bible college, got saved and then got baptized. And his name is Kevin Berg. One of our missionaries. And he said for all that time, pride kept him from doing right. Isn't it amazing to think about that pride could keep you from doing right? Some of you young people, listen to me. Listen to me. I'm glad you want to please your parents. Well, we need young people that want to please their parents. But I would hope if God speaks to your heart, it wouldn't matter one lick about pleasing your parents. But pleasing God would be more important than that. Amen, church? Amen? Boy, pride. You know, another one of his devices, oh, this one has tripped up many. Anger. Anger. Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous. Proverbs 27.4 says, jealousy. That's a vice, isn't it? Jealousy. Proverbs 6.34, for jealousy is the rage of man. Therefore, we will not spare in the day of vengeance. Proverbs uh, uh, 6.32, impurity. Impurity. And that seems like it's the sin of the day, ladies and gentlemen, isn't it? Impurity. Proverbs 6.32, but whoso committeth adultery of the woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. Satan uses that vice in people's life. Uh Uh-oh, this one's not going to win me any friends. Gluttony. Amen. Gluttony. Notice we're not having a potluck today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It says, and put a knife to thy throat if thou be a man given to appetite. Hey, it's, it's, no big, it's no big mystery if you read the Bible while later in life, if you've had a 50-year love affair with Ham, that you have all kinds of problems in your life. Hmm? It's a sin. Gluttony. Eating too much. It's a sin. It's a sin. Amen. And Satan uses it in people's life. Laziness is a vice. It's a sin. The desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. Could we not add, ladies and gentlemen, materialism? One of Satan's vices. Could we not add worldliness, covetousness, and many others? However, in this day that we live in, in 
throughout the history of the church, one of Satan's most effective and oft-used devices in the church is division. And the title of the sermon today is The Device of Divisiveness. The Device of Divisiveness. In our text, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and this is without a doubt, those of you that know your Bibles, uh, the most carnal church that Paul wrote to. Corinth was an extremely carnal city, and he deals with the consequences of carnality by addressing a prevalent problem in each chapter. I remember my New Testament survey class in Bible college, the professor who taught that class challenged us to write down uh, the problem that was being dealt with in each of the 16 chapters, and I did that. The first one, we see division and strife concerning leaders. Chapter 2, we find the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of men. Verse 3, we find carnality in the church because of favoritism and man-worship. Chapter 4, we find poor stewardship. Chapter 5, we find indifference toward immorality. Chapter 6, we find believers uh, taking believers to unbelievers in courts. Ladies and gentlemen, that's still forbidden. Believers are supposed to be able to work things out amongst themselves. Amen. Not bring it before the ungodly. Uh, Verse 7, we find out about impurity concerning marriage. Uh, uh, Chapter uh, chapter 8 and 9, pastoral authority. Chapter 10, separation from the world. Chapter 11, uh, the Lord's Supper being taken improperly. Chapter 12, spiritual gifts. Chapter 13, improper love. Chapter 14, tongues. Chapter 15, the resurrection. And chapter 16, giving. In chapter 1, he deals with divisions. Divisions within the church. I guess today we'd probably call them cliques. Amen? When Pastor Donald and Miss Marissa were in the youth group in my church, our home church, and I was the youth pastor, and, and I did what he did yesterday, drive to a youth rally and be there all day. And, and uh, I would notice, Miss Robin, that certain teens would always sit together. And that other teens kind of felt a little excluded. So I became the head click buster. <laughs> they get sitting together. I said, you, sit over there. But I, don't, I didn't ask. Sit over there. I was a great youth pastor. Hallelujah. <laughs> I never asked. Do that. But, but, no buts. Yeah, but. My dad used to say that all the time. I'd say, he'd say, go do that. I said, yeah, but. He said, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Amen. So that became my, my mantra in the youth, youth group. They're clicks. You know clicks can happen in churches? That's why, if you'll notice, every time we have a fellowship, when we have a potluck, when I'm not preaching on gluttony, I'll say, why don't you sit next to somebody you don't know and get to know them? There are people that have been here two and three months that don't know a lot of people, and that's not their fault. Come on now, church, amen. Uh, listen, I understand having friends. Some of you have been part of this church for 30 and 40 and 50 years, and you've had friends for those 30 and 40 and 50. You like to sit with them. Nothing wrong with that. But divisions can creep into a church. 
And Satan can take a good church like Loomis Park Baptist Church and he can insert the device of divisiveness and work a very diabolical work. How many of us have known church that have gone through split after split after split after split and it's not even in existence anymore? You know why that happens? Divisions. Divisions. The, the Greek word, it's, it's an interesting word here in this text, uh, in, in verse 10, uh, that word division, it's the word schizo, schizo. It means to, it's translated in your King James Bible to rend, to divide, to open, to break, to make a rent or tear. It, the meaning is to cleave, to cleave asunder, to cut, to divide by tearing apart, to split into factions and be divided. Our church has seen the blessing of God upon it, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you know that. I went down to that little church there this week, Manitow Road, and I was blessed. And I, I text Pastor Donald Sunday as I was driving home. I, I told the pastor, I said, you know, I've been away for so many weeks, I want my wife's cooking on Sunday afternoon, hallelujah. Crock pot, pot roast, hallelujah. And I didn't preach on gluttony that day either, amen, hallelujah. And I was driving back, and Pastor Donald said, how'd it go for you? I said, it was great. It's a small group of people. I said, probably about 20 people. And Pastor Donald said, he said, well, we were a little down today. And I said, well, hopefully not 20. And he said, 29. Amen. He sent me back a text of 29. And then he looked, and he said, 207. And I thought, when 207 is down, we've been blessed. Amen. Hmm? But you know what the devil wants to do? He wants to divide us. He wants to divide us into this group and that group and this group and that group. And this group gets talking about that group. And I want to preach to you on the device of divisiveness. I've got five points. Miss Hendershot, you let your husband know I preached a five-point message, amen. I probably got about 40 sub-points, amen. So let me give you the points first, and I'll go through them here. We've got about 20 minutes. The problems of division, the purposes of division, the production of division, the prevention of division, and the practical concerning division. <clears throat> Let me give you the problems of division. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, there is a scriptural call to division. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? One of the problems that we face is there is a time scripturally where Christians are commanded to divide and separate. Say, what do you mean, Pastor? Romans 16, 17 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. There are those who we can see that are trying to split churches, and I'll never forget this, when my pastor, my founding pastor, Eric Tharp, who's now the co-pastor out at North Valley Baptist Church, when he left our church after 19 years, he had warned our deacons and our trustees that when he left, there would be a man that had been part of our church that had been thrice divorced and wanted to be a Sunday school teacher. And again, I know divorce happens, ladies and gentlemen, but after the third time, it's time to hang up your Sunday school 
ministry, amen, and uh, just sit there and listen and get blessed. And this man, he was a Diotrephes. He wanted the preeminence. And sure enough, the first week Pastor Tharp was gone, this guy showed up at the back door. And thank God our deacons and our trustees were right there. And they said, you are not welcome here. You say, oh, wow. It's Bible. It's, now listen, thank God it's not all the time that you have to do things like that. But bless God, we have to do things like that. Amen. And so one of the problems with division is there is a scriptural call to division. 1 Corinthians 5.11, But now I have written unto you that ye are not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator. Okay, again, sexual immorality. 2 Corinthians 6.17, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing. Ephesians 5.11, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So there's a scriptural call of division. So that, that presents a problem. When do we divide? When do we not divide? There are some causes of division. However, church, Let's face the facts that this scriptural call of division is not normally the reason why churches have divisions. Amen? Well, the building committee didn't take my suggestion concerning the chartreuse carpet with polka dots. Hmm? The pastor didn't recognize me at the workers' banquet. You know, pastor, anything $50 and over in expenditure requires a special business meeting and Robert's Rules of Order. <laughs> Forgive me. I've been out of the pulpit for four weeks. I lost a little bit of my dignity here. Some causes of division. Most causes of division are man-centered. 1 Corinthians 1, look at verse 12 and 13. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Who's speaking here? The apostle Paul. He said, I wasn't crucified for you. Jesus Christ was crucified for you. Mark 7, 13 says, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered and many such like things do ye. The doctrines of Dr. Ratzefratz and Professor Hosnose and your Bible college don't matter much if they don't line up with the Bible. Amen? Man-centered division. You know, sometimes not only divisions are man-centered, but sometimes divisions are caused by misunderstandings. Misunderstandings. Sometimes there's just a, a misunderstanding in the work of God between good people and Satan gets in there with that device of divisiveness. How many of you have seen that in your Christian life? I've seen that. Oh my goodness. Sometimes divisions are caused by misconstruing others. This can be from a look or a tone of a word spoken. Or usually a second-hand conversation, which, ladies and gentlemen, borders on gossip, Amen. if it's second-hand. Forgive me, I don't put a lot of stock in second-hand conversations. Face-to-face. -face. The Bible says, moreover, if thy brother offend thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Amen. So, 
misunderstandings, misconstruing others, man-centeredness are some causes of division. And then, ladies and gentlemen, not only are there some causes of division, there's some simple carnality of division. If you go over just a page in your Bible and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul brings it down to the lowest common denominator right here. He says in chapter 3, and think about,